AGW's Rod Hill, FM News. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show and happy Tuesday from the Radio Northwest Network serving the Pacific Northwest states, Oregon, Washington and Idaho with honestly provocative talk. And I want to talk to you about the fact is almost every single day I think of as a target rich environment. But today, even more so, we've got a decision about President Trump's immunity from criminal prosecution. Uh, we've got some new information about the Alaska Airlines plane, you know, the one the plug blew out of and the bolts were missing. Yeah, that was the problem. They didn't put the bolts in. And if you say, well, we knew that, well, we kind of suspected it. But I'll get to details on that a little bit later on. But I want to start with something before I get to a really crazy example of something going on here in the Northwest where a local government decided we're going to help out all those people who do Uber Eats and Grubhub and all the other food delivery services. We're going to enhance their ability to make money. And guess what? In most cases, it has cut their paychecks in half. It's a very simple lesson in economics that people, the liberals out there, for sure, do not know anything about economics. And they do know how to use the government to screw up people's lives. And I'm going to give you a great example of it in a moment. But I want to tell you about something else, because as long as I've been talking about mass shootings that have happened in America, and that's almost 30 years of doing talk radio, mass shootings have come up time and time and time again. I mean, Thurston High School in Springfield, mass shootings and school shootings that have happened. Well, there was a school shooting about three years ago, and it involved a young man by the name of Ethan Crumbly, not a man, a boy, a teenager. He has been convicted. He's been sent off to prison for the rest of his life. But the question has always come up, mostly from the people who listen to this show. And they say, but Lars, is there any way to hold the parents responsible? And I've always said, well, I think it'd be a long shot because you have to somehow directly connect the parents to what happened. And most of the time, I'm more in favor of making sure the person who did the deed is the person who gets punished. Now, I realize that runs counter to most of the liberal theology out there, and liberals really do believe in a theology. They talk about gun violence without talking about the man or woman behind the gun who actually pulled the trigger. I'm in favor of holding the person responsible, not the inanimate object. I know if you're liberal, you call me crazy. Great, I'll take that as a compliment. But what happened in Michigan? Jennifer Crumbly, the Michigan mother of Ethan Crumbly, sent to prison for the rest of his life, killed four people at his school about three years ago in 2021. She has just today, just within the last couple of hours, been convicted of involuntary manslaughter in the case. And as near as we can tell, there's never been another one like it in America, where a parent who was not directly involved in pulling the trigger, in aiming the gun, but has now been found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. That's not murder. It just means that she did some things that ended in the death of somebody. Murder is the deliberate killing of somebody. In this case, Jennifer Crumbly found guilty 
in the deadly shooting rampage from four years ago at her son's school. But, you know, I got to tell you, I'm not going to excuse her at all. I think she is partially responsible. Uh, James Crumbly, her husband, goes on trial about a month from now. And frankly, I think some of the former school officials should go on trial as well. I'm going to talk more about the case a bit later. But this involved a young man who was having his share of troubles, like a lot of young men, teenagers, and uh, mom bought him a gun. Nothing wrong with that to that point. Did mom maintain control of the gun? Nope. Uh, left it in the kid's hands. And then where it really gets crazy, the school called mom to the school and said, listen, your kid's been drawing some really disturbing drawings that have guns in them. And the, the content of these drawings is really troubling. Troubling enough that they called mom to school. Did mom volunteer? By the way, I just bought my son a semi-automatic handgun a couple of days ago. No, she didn't. Did her husband volunteer that? No, he didn't. Did the school officials ask about it? No, they didn't. Do you know where the gun was? The gun was in a backpack on Ethan Crumbly's back. And Ethan Crumbly was talked to by the school officials. And this is where it gets insanely crazy. Ethan Crumbly talks to the principal at the school. He's no longer the principal at the school. And he says, uh, hand me your backpack. He takes the backpack and he talks to the kid for a few minutes never asks to look at what's inside the backpack, never never even questions it. In fact, as he hands it back, he says, boy, this sure is heavy. You know why it was heavy? What was inside that backpack was a pistol and extra ammunition. He hands it right back to the kid. The kid goes on to murder four people. He's now in prison. Mom's headed to prison, maybe 15 years for today's conviction, and his dad may be going to prison as well. Well, again, we'll talk about more details about it a little bit later on in the show. But I want to tell you about what happened in Seattle, because this is what you should do when government officials show up and famously say, we're here from the government and we're here to help you out. Guess what? Run away as fast as you can. So what did Seattle do? Seattle said, you know, these food delivery people, they don't make enough money. They're not making a living wage. So guess what they did? They said, we're going to give you a way to make more money. So they slapped on a new fee. I mean, that's generally the government's solution to just about anything. In fact, King 5 News said, you may have noticed the new $5 fee on DoorDash and Uber Eats orders. It's not just causing frustrated customers to actually delete the apps altogether. They said now they're finding out. People are just saying, we're not going to order food. Not at that price. The price is too high. And why is the price high? Because the city of Seattle said, we know how to make you more money. We'll just charge everybody a lot more money. And then we'll give it to you, the drivers, because we're from the government and we're here to help. All of these drivers are telling King 5 that they were making pretty good money. One guy said he usually made about $900 a week. How much is he making now? About half as much. And why? Because they discovered down at City Hall the thing that any person, any man or woman in a business knows inherently. If you go out and try to charge your customers more, you're going to lose some of your customers. If you charge them a lot more, you're going to lose a lot of your customers. I mean, that's small business 101, which apparently the rocket scientists down at Seattle City Hall did not understand. They said, we're going we're gonna to put more money in these people's pockets. We're going to make sure you get paid a minimum amount for every single delivery. We're going to make sure that you have to get. In fact, here's what, here's what they said. They said, we want to make sure that these people are making at least $50,000 a year for driving 
food in a paper bag to somebody's house. And what happened? Well, the end result was the same kind of thing that happened when the idiots of the Washington legislature said, let's make all the farmers pay overtime above 40 hours to all the farm workers, because that will help them out. Guess what? The farm workers got their hours cut to 40 hours. The farmers ended up paying the same. They got the same work done, but having two or three or five people do it instead. And the workers were held to 40 hours. The workers are getting smaller paychecks. Like I said, if anybody ever comes at you from government, especially in liberal places like the Pacific Northwest, and they claim they're there to help you out, run the other direction very fast. Glad to have you with me on a Tuesday. It's the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Northwest Nonsense is coming up next. John Kennedy on the Washington establishment. The Washington establishment is working harder than an ugly stripper to cover up whatever happened. This is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you bloody well right. You know he got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. Well, the pandemic, I know long over, but the pandemic has provided a great excuse for elected officials in the Pacific Northwest to pad the pockets of, guess what, illegal aliens. We just learned that Washington State shoveled out one-third of a billion dollars of your tax money to Joe Biden's border jumpers. The report shows $340 million provided by the federal government allegedly for COVID relief that did not in fact go to Americans. Instead, Governor Jay Inslee sent out $1,000 checks to literally thousands of illegal aliens. New York City plans to do the same thing with the masses of illegals who've taken a big bite out of the Big Apple. Apparently, it wasn't enough that Oregon and Washington declared themselves sanctuary states, where illegals need not fear being turned over for deportation when they commit crimes. I know that some of you consider it a slur to say that illegals commit more crimes. Just consider that roughly 5% of the Northwest population is here illegally. Turn that into 14% of all the convicted killers in Oregon prisons and 18% of the rapists in prisons. So, Open Borders Joe cuts the razor wire to clear the way for more millions of undocumented Democrats. The states dangle out real cash, your cash in this case, to get them here, and then elections officials sign them up to vote. And now Republicans want to pass a border bill that provides almost two million more illegals this year before we bang the border door shut? you got to be kidding me. Now, I do want to mention something. I got a request a couple of weeks ago from a young lady. Uh, the young lady is a caregiver for a woman who lives here in the Northwest. I'm not going to say exactly where she lives, but uh, she said, would you please call her and wish her a happy birthday? Now, I get those requests occasionally, but this one was special. Audrey Roseberry, 
this woman deserves the best 103rd birthday ever. And I got a chance, about 15 minutes, to speak with her on the phone. I got to tell you something. She could easily pass for a woman of 70. I mean, easily. She Maybe even 60. I mean, she was full of life. Lived in Prineville most of her life. Uh, started out, got her first job delivering milk in bottles. Uh, you know, from store to store and house to house in Prineville. Made a whole $25 a month. And you know what? I'm not the only one who bemoans millennials and the work ethic out there. She apparently had a work ethic that started very early. She ended up as the uh, as the uh, wife of a man who worked in a sawmill for a long time. They farmed. They ranched. They had 80 acres. They had cows. She said she bucked hay and she baled hay. She did all of that. So please, everybody wish Audrey Roseberry a very nice 103rd birthday, the best ever. And I told her I'm going to look forward to talking to her next year on February the 6th, the birthday by the way, the birthday also of Ronald Reagan, Babe Ruth, and Natalie Cole, and of course, Audrey Roseberry. Now, our question of the day, why should taxpayers statewide bill out liberal Portland again by having a statewide property tax? There is no statewide property tax in Oregon today. Legislators want to have one so they can pay for public safety, meaning so that the entire state, all 36 counties, can pay for all of the, or uh, adding to, the law enforcement that Portlanders don't want. If Portlanders don't want it, and clearly based on their election choices, they don't, then they get what comes with it. Less law enforcement, more crime. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I'm going to give today's Daily Grill to Jay Inslee. I know he's a many times recipient, but he now plans to spend 85 million taxpayer dollars to put up 500 elect, sorry, 5,000 electric vehicle charging stations in 500 different sites around the state. And my question would be, should private companies build EV chargers or should it be done with taxpayer money? I think that EV chargers should be financed the same way gas stations are financed, and that is by the private sector. But Jay Inslee, he's putting up these chargers statewide. Can you imagine what's going to happen with legalized hard drugs and all those meth heads who know how much that copper and all the other metals are worth? How long are those EV chargers going to last? Anyway, there goes your $85 million down the drain. Our best email so far today, but you can send more, comes from Doug Stubbs. Lars, I'm deeply concerned about keeping the upcoming presidential election transparent, fair, and honest. Is there anything being done at the federal and state levels to prevent mail-in ballots from being used as they were in 2020? Well, there are some efforts. None have been successful. And if anything, I would guess we'll end up using more mail ballots in 2024 than we did in 2020. He said, I see no reason for them to be used at any time. All they are is a way to stir controversy and confusion while allowing illegal votes to be counted. Respectfully, Douglas Stubbs. Now, our best poll today, the X poll, used to be called the Twitter poll. The question is, should the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting also be held criminally responsible? They've always been able to be taken to civil court and sued should they face time in prison. Jennifer Crumbly of Michigan convicted today, the word came down just a couple of hours ago, in voluntary manslaughter in the murders that her son, who's now 17, was convicted of 
uh, just a, a, a bit ago. He's now been sentenced to life in prison. Mom is facing 15 years. Her husband goes on trial next month. You can find the poll on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to Randy first. Hey, Randy, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Yeah, good afternoon. What's on your mind, Randy? Well, um, I think the parents obviously dropped the ball. Um, my question is, how about a lot of inner city kids who are convicted of 10, 15, 20 crimes? How come those parents aren't held responsible? I guess no DA has chosen to bring charges or thought he had a provable case, but I could see the case being made. If you're in a big, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in a big city or a small city, does it? No, it does not. Absolutely not. I, I'm just curious on, you know, when your your son or daughter is a member of a gang, the Crips, the Bloods, whatever it happens to be, and and they've been convicted and and sentenced and over and over and over again. What? Why aren't those parents? I I can tell being, you. I think the first court. part of it, Randy, that you've got to. In this case, who bought the gun for the kid? Mom. Who failed to law legally secure the gun, put it in a lockup? Mom. When she was called oh, to the school God. because the school was concerned about her son's behavior and thought it might be violent, did she say to the school, by the way, he's got a pistol? And did the, would the school have been able to say, well, where is it right now? And if she said, I don't know, I'll go home and find it right now, it turns out it was in his backpack. So they could draw a very close <laughs> Well, it was in it, and I mentioned that. Yeah, and, the, and the principal actually handed the backpack back to the kid and said, gee, this backpack's real heavy, but never bothered to look inside of it. So I think there's plenty of guilt to go around. But you'd have to make that same connection. When there's a mom or dad and son or daughter is running around with a gang, did mom or dad say, yeah, that's great, run around with a gang in that case? Go after them as well. Coming up in a moment, we got to talk about some of those Republicans who've been stopped from running for re-election by what I think is an unconstitutional measure in order. The Lars Larson Show. To the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday. Always glad to take your calls. And I want to welcome Oregon State Senator Daniel Bonham to the program. Senator, good to have you back. And what happens now that the Democrats have found a way to keep Republican senators from running for re-election? Yeah, good afternoon, Lars. Um, well, one... We're still in office. I, I think yep. that's the key to, to remember that, that I serve until 2027 and that uh, other members will be in office until 2025. So, so we're still here. We're still doing the work. Uh, there still is a quorum requirement. I think that's really important for people to still recognize that, that no one changed the law. That's still a constitutional requirement that you have to have 21 in the Senate and, and uh, 40 in the House to, to conduct business. And so, so long as we keep... Uh, our jobs and keep our heads about us and, and stay united as a caucus, we, we still have an impact to, and a role to play here in the Oregon legislature. Well, and in fact, you got nothing to lose at this point because, I mean, I think the, 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 the decision was wrong because the ballot measure does not say 
you're forbidden from running for election the next time. It says that the time after that, and that's what the actual language of Measure 113 said. I want to know what you think of the fact that an all-Democrat-appointed Oregon Supreme Court decided that they would not read what the law actually said, but they would read into it what they thought the, the promoters and the voters who voted on it meant to have happen. Is that the way we should run laws? Is, is say, don't pay any attention to the black and white letters on the page. Pay attention to what we say they intended to do. Well, there's a lot to unpack with, with that question. Um, first and foremost, yeah, there is no justice in a political court. You know, when you have a, you know, a single party, single minded court, uh, that is ruling with a political bent, you, you, you will not have justice. I think at the end of the day, to your point, the words now that someone would open up and read in the Oregon Constitution that have been incorporated don't actually mean what they say. Uh, that's the first time I can think of where plain, clear language that is explicit won't be interpreted. So it will cause confusion for voters. And now that we've said that intent matters more than the words, I can't even imagine the Pandora's box that's going to be opened with, with arguments about, at least here in, in the legislature, there's been plenty of times in my six years serving in office where I've given a floor speech. I have submitted written testimony to put clearly what our intent was, only to have an executive branch agency modify through rule what we said. And, and when we go back and complain and say, look here clearly at my testimony and what we actually meant, we had you know six hours of floor debate on this bill and we put on the record all these things, doesn't that matter? And they said, not when the language says this, right? When the language is clear, your intent doesn't matter. And so 50 years of legal precedence in the state of the Oregon thrown out because seven Supreme Court justices and not a single one of them dissented, which I think is appalling. Like not a single one of them saw that legal argument. Um, anybody that's been to law school will tell you that the first thing that they learn is that the language rules and you only consider intent when there's ambiguity. And so, you know, the Secretary of State, I thought, put forward a weak alternative uh uh, consideration of, of what the words could mean and and I was there the day in court and I can't remember the Supreme Court justice he was sitting all the way to the left and he asked the DOJ representative can you read the sentence and have it mean anything other than what it says he gave about a two to three meandering answer you know Fred Astaire trying to dance around the issue and finally he put blankly uh, if you don't add a comma and if you don't modify a word can you make this read anything other than what the respondents are saying and he said no I cannot and I thought that was it. Like, I thought right there, I thought, okay, well, you know, I give us a 50-50 chance in this court. I thought at that point I gave us a 51-49% chance, which clearly to me thought at least we'd get a 4-3 to three decision for or against, but, but have it be 7-0. I, I really, you know, have, have lost a lot of respect for this process. Well, and for the court. Because every one of those, let's see, has Kotech appointed any members of the Oregon Supreme Court, or are they all Kate Brown picks at this point? I think they're all Kate Brown, John Kitzhaber picks at this point. Yep. So, so in other words, you have a court that says, okay, it doesn't matter what the, what, it matters what the party tells us to vote. And, and I would say that to their faces. You know, to be a judge yeah. and say, I'm here to decide what's in the Constitution, what's in the law. But no, if the party needs this to be, all these guys are, are forbidden to run for reelection, even though that's not the, what the law says. Yep. That's what I'm going to go with. I'll vote with my party. And, and I think that's absolutely outrageous. Now, as to what the legislature is going to do, is there any mm -hmm. chance that we're going to get any kind of serious changes that will bring back criminal prosecution? And I don't mean C misdemeanor prosecution uh, for hard drugs, because 
I, I see that as the only path to get people into treatment. Is there any chance this legislature will make that change? Yes, there's a chance. And again, I, I think the the beauty, I guess, of, of where we are sitting, to your point, is there's some of us that have nothing to lose. And so um, it does create a point of leverage, uh, hopefully, to, to get people to the right policy position. I think the the more in-depth question, of course, is even if we make that change, are there prosecutors in certain counties that will uh, take action? Uh, I, I do think that that is another point of which our voters need to start paying more attention is who we're electing to prosecute crimes. You know, our DAs matter. So what we put on the books in terms of what is lawful and what's not is one thing. Uh, who you elect to choose which crimes to prosecute is another. And, of course, then the fundamental underlying part of that is what does it mean to the public safety officer that's supposed to be out enforcing law? You know, do they put themselves at risk to arrest somebody for something that won't ultimately be prosecuted? So th this is a nuanced uh, conversation. I, I think the legislature has the potential to, to take this positive action. And, and to your point, I, I don't think a C misdemeanor is enough to, to deter criminal activity. Okay, I want to ask you straight out. So uh, Tina Kotek wants half a billion dollars, she says, to make affordable housing, which seems like a, a it's like the punch, a setup for a punchline in a joke. You know, the, we're going to make housing more affordable by taking half a billion dollars of taxpayer money and pouring it into it. Is the problem a lack of money or is the problem that government at almost every single level in, in Oregon has gotten in the way of building housing? Yeah, I think if we're not going to open up Senate Bill 100 and start having serious conversations about our land use laws, and, and again, I'm, I'm not talking about turning over the apple cart and just pouring everything out, but at the same time, we, we need to evaluate what is EFU land, what is exclusive farm use land. There are some soils that are... You know, By the way, he said soil. EFU, not the FU, because it might have come yeah, across right. as that. It's <laughs> exclusive farm use and exclusive, not the other the other kind of land, although I think that Tina Kotek believes in the... In, in the other one as, as, a, as an approach. But the hard part is, like, Tina Kotek right now, you know, she unilaterally put into the you know, the conversation over the, the chip manufacturing, you know, an, ex, an exemption for, for some land use to be incorporated into development that is, you know, type one soil in an area of the state that gets, you know, 60-plus inches of, of water a year. So, you know, it may not be irrigated land, but it's getting natural rainfall that, you know, if you spill a seed out of your pocket, it's going to grow. And and we're going to then exclude development from some soils that, you know, you're, you're going to grow rocks at best in an area of the state where we've been experiencing drought and it's not irrigated, but we're going to set that side uh, that land aside as exclusive farm use land and not develop it, and we're going to till under you know, the best soil in the world for farmland uh, because it's in close proximity to where it's easier to develop at a more affordable rate. So, like, we have some hard conversations that we should be having, and, and you know, we shouldn't allow Tina Kotek to legislate. You know, she's a member of the executive branch, and the legislature should do our work. And, and again, to your point, like, the regulatory environment's not healthy. Uh, we have limited uh, capacity for growth. That, of course, drives up the cost. Uh, we have a lack of uh, labor supply in this market. Like, like just for one silly example, and, and it's a small I, I, example. I'm up against the break, Senator. I, I apologize. Okay. 
But Senator Bonham, stick with it and just remember, you got nothing to lose, so anything goes. That's Senator Daniel okay. Bonham from the Oregon Legislature, now in session, so hold on to your wallets, folks. This is where you get it. Back in a moment, it's a Tuesday. It's the Lars Larson Show, and it's the Radio Northwest Network. Lots of folks worry about their firearms, but Lars doesn't have to worry about Biden taking his guns. He stores them upstairs. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Our poll on X used to be called the Twitter poll. Should the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting be held criminally responsible? That very thing happened apparently for the first time in American history. Jennifer Crumbly, a Michigan woman charged in connection with her son's deadly school shooting. Three years ago, uh, Oxford High School is where it happened. Her teenage son brought a gun to school. She'd bought him the gun. She didn't lock it up. She knew he had it, or she knew that it was in the house. What she didn't know is it was in his backpack. And the school officials didn't bother to check either. So a jury has now convicted her of involuntary manslaughter should the parents of children who commit mass shootings be held criminally responsible? I'd answer it yes. You can answer it any way you like. You'll find the poll question at Lars Larson Show on X. You'll also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. We always start with naysayers when there is one. And by the way, if you want to dial the show, it's 866-HEY-LARS. Uh, naysayers go first at 866-439-5277. Chuck, what do you and I disagree about today that makes you a naysayer? Uh, first of all, I'd like to announce my candidacy for head naysayer. No. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is running for <laughs> There's that. There's a lot of competition like out there, Chuck. There's a lot of competition. Yeah. Paul in well, Woodville might uh, give you a run for your money. I heard the last interview that you conducted with the uh, uh, Oregon State Senator there. I, I don't know his name, but I guess that's not really the point of my call here. Isn't he one of the people that refused to go to work? And that's why this whole thing happened? No. And let me tell you why, Chuck. At so your job, what do you he, do for he, What do you do for no, Hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'm going to give you an answer. What do you do or what did you do for work? I am in the transportation industry. Okay, so you're, you're in the trucking business or moving things from A right. to B? Okay. Is it, ever right. your, is it ever part of your job to walk away from, the, from what you're doing right now? Uh, I'm not quite sure what this ha Basically, uh, if I don't show up to work, I don't get paid. And I, I, I get that. that. I get that. But, Chuck, Chuck. If you send somebody in to negotiate something for you, the purchase of a house, the purchase of a car, a contract of some kind, is it sometimes the job of your representative in that negotiation to walk out the door? Um, I would say no, because it's he's not getting paid. No, hold, hold on. Paid. So you hire a lawyer and he goes in and he sits down. And your boss says, I want to pay Chuck $1.95 an hour. And your your negotiator's job at some point is not to stand up and say, to heck with you and walk out the door on your behalf. 
Is that sometimes the job of somebody who is your representative and your negotiator? Um, I would say no. That person is there to negotiate, not just walk away and uh, uh, go. So, they're, so they just say, okay, $1.95, let's see how we can make that palatable to Chuck. $1.95 was Saturday's off. I mean, Chuck. And I'm going to say, part of I'm gonna say no, no, and I'm not moving until I get my way. Maybe the tactic should have been to camp out in the uh, Oregon State Legislature. But, but here's the problem, leave. Chuck. Chuck, part of the problem is this. Every legislative body in the world operates on a different, uh, sl uh, they're all slightly different versions of Robert's Rules of Order. And one of the rules that's designed to represent the rights of the minority, because in a pure majority system, the, the minute the Democrats get 51% of the votes or the Republicans get 51%, they could just not show up and the other side will get everything they want. But what they have in every legislative body in the world, not just in America, is quorum rules of various kinds. In, in the case of the state of Oregon, they say you have to have a certain minimum number of people in the room to make a decision. If you're a Republican senator and you realize they're about to vote something through that is so bad that we don't want it to pass, and the only option we have to keep it from passing is to walk out the door and deny them a quorum, that is written in the rules of the body. And both Democrats and Republicans have used it. So if your representative said, well, Chuck, I'm sorry, if we'd walked out the door, we could have stopped that bad thing from passing, but instead, we sat there like lumps on a log and let the Democrats pass whatever they want. Is that what you wanted him to do? No. Okay. I, I, I expect I expect my lawmakers to earn their their money just like I have to. What if and, they earn uh, their uh, money by walking out, out the door? <laughs> They're going to go earn money by playing golf and having a vacation. No, okay, and I, I see. I, I think you're looking at this the wrong way. When whoop. Did Chuck hang up, or did his Obama phone give up? One way or the other, he uh, he 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 left. I didn't dump I didn't dump him off the line. Let's go to Matt Medford. Matt, we're close to the break. You have about a minute. What's on your mind today? Yes, Lars. I throw the book at this mom. She gave the her son the gun to do it. They ought to take the mom and the dead, and they ought to they ought to lock him up for many years. And well, the, the mom too. the mom got convicted today. She's looking at fifteen years in the joint. Dad goes on oh, trial good. a month from now. And dad may get the same. And I, I would even put some of the school officials on trial because. Yeah, and the, and I, the son, what, what, is, what does the son get for this? Uh, life in prison. I mean, oh, I, it, with, with, with or without parole? I don't think it's with parole. I'd have to double check that, Matt. But I think he's going to be. These, are these three going to a minimum or max security? I, uh, well, hold on. In in the case of state prisons, it's different, and I don't know the Michigan prison system that well, so I can't tell you yeah. definitively. I think I think the son is gone for good. I think mom mom's going to go to prison for at least a decade. She'll get her just desserts. Back in a moment. You got the Lars Larson show. The Lars Larson show. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved...
Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live and now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Our ex-poll today, should the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting also be held criminally responsible? It happened in Michigan today. Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of a teenage boy who got sent to prison for life without the possibility of parole because he murdered four people at his high school about three years ago. She was the one who bought the gun. She didn't secure the gun. There were a number of things she didn't do, and a jury found her uh, guilty of involuntary manslaughter. So you can find the question at Lars Larson Show. Should the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting also be held criminally responsible? It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, I want to speak with uh, Kendra Arnold, who is the executive director of a group called Foundation for Accountability and Civic Trust. Fact. Uh, it's a great group. I have no other connection to it than that I, I like what they do. Uh, it's a watchdog group. Ms. Arnold, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It seems the Pacific Northwest has more than its share of corruption. And uh, and the latest corruption revolves, and, and it came to light some of it about a year ago, uh, when a number of state officials, including a current member of Congress, and now it turns out a second member of Congress, were all taking monies from a company called Lamoda which is a weed or marijuana retailer. I want to know what, what fact has come up with when it comes to Andrea Salinas. Well, we had just filed a complaint yesterday with the Federal Election Commission about a couple of contributions, donations that her campaign received that they noted was from La Mota. It was her and her joint fundraising committee. They both reported that they took in a contribution from Lamota. And from that description, we can't tell who actually gave the money to the campaign. Is that legal? So, um, Hold on. Let me, uh, let me ask, let me intercept you with a question. Yes, Sorry, Ms. Yes, Ms. Arnold. Yes. Uh, is it legal for a company to give money to a candidate without identifying the person who actually gave the money? No, it's not. And in essentially, you, a company can't, a corporation can't give money at all. Um, and an LLC, which is what we kind of through investigation determined that the reference to La Mota, it was likely an LLC, um, based on the address. And there was another LLC registered to the same address that ha its name was AMJWAF LLC. And it had mentioned that it was using the name La Mota. So from that, we can't, we don't have a human being to put with that company and say who is actually giving this money. And an LLC sometimes is wholly prohibited from giving money. They're treated like a corporation. They can't donate to candidates. It's illegal for them to do so at all. In other cases, they can give donations if they're treated like a partnership, but essentially you have to give a person, a human being's name to accompany the donor. And that way, 
the money may come from, let's say, an LLC's bank account, but it's actually being attributed to the person who's giving it, and then that person is subject to the limits um, for campaign contributions. I mean, because otherwise, and just so people understand why the rule says it that way, I have an LLC, Lars Radio LLC. It's a little company, and it, you know, so I, because I have some employees and other expenses, I run it through the LLC, a limited liability company. So if I, if I wanted to give far more than an individual could give to a, cam a campaign, I could just set up a dozen LLCs and make my contributions toward, through them if that rule wasn't there. Because you, you, we, you would effectively have no limits on the amount of money that an individual could give as long as they just funneled it through a bunch of LLCs. That's why they have the rule, isn't it? That is exactly right. It is because a person's only allowed to give um, their $3,300 a year, and no matter where it comes from, if they put it in a business account or, you know, anybody else's account, no, you can't do that. It has to be your limit, your money, and that's exactly why they have it, as you described. And in fact, is there even a legitimate reason for a business, because I'm sure when you go to the IRS and they ask for your, you know, when you file your taxes, you say, uh, these are the expenses of my business. Is contributing to campaigns a legitimate expense for a business? Do you know? Well, that, that's actually, you know, a common issue that comes up because um, political involvement in businesses is, is that furthering the purpose of the business? And so that's a, a common legal question. But from the campaign side, uh, you know, it's, it is not allowed except in those narrow circumstances where it's actually the person giving it. And in some ways you can see if it's, you know, let's say you and you have your one LLC and you control the whole thing and there's really that, not that much distinguishing yourself and the company, then it's, you know, just a means of convenience to give it out of that bank account, but put your name on the donation. Yeah. I think that's really just what they're allowing here is the convenience for a single person to give it out of this account, but account for it under their own name. Um, so it's, you know, one of those odd legal rules, but it just really boils down to is the donation has to come from a person. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry to have taken us so far into the weeds, Ms. Arnold. I just wanted people to understand why all those crazy rules are there. Kendra Arnold is Executive Director of the Foundation for Accountability and Civic Trust. So, bottom line, did Congresswoman Andrea Salinas, Representative Salinas, take an illegal campaign contribution? You know, that is um, from the way that she disclosed it. It certainly looks that way. The other... There is an alternative here, and if she didn't do that, then she improperly reported it and didn't actually disclose who it came from. So when we looked at her filings, we thought we saw the name, and we thought, we can't really tell who this is from. So that tips you off to this isn't right, um, and either it came from someone who couldn't give the donation or she reported it not to say who was actually responsible for the donation. Because, I mean, there were two principals in that company. I think the company is still around, but it's got a gigantic, it's got a, a tsunami of legal issues. They owe money to the IRS. They owe money to the Department of Revenue in Oregon. They owe money to the licensing, the pot licensing folks in Oregon. Uh, they were giving literal stacks of cash 
to various public officials, including 10000 a month, to the now former Secretary of State of Oregon, uh, who was doing political favors for them, it appears, uh, behind the scenes in state government. And there's a lot of sleaze to go around. How has the uh, Salinas campaign answered all this, or have they said anything about it? I think the only thing they've said is that um, that it was improperly reported, um, something along the lines of maybe the Joint Fundraising Committee took it and gave it to the campaign and to us that there, there's no there's pun in there is there problem here <laughs> there's they, another problem here then not only are you you know not disclosing the information properly but you're now we found another error in the reporting so you know we want to see all of our candidates do 100 percent accurate filings yeah good now. luck in oregon these days ms arnold thank you very much that's kendra arnold from fact the foundation for accountability and civic trust it looks like Democrat Congresswoman Andrea Salinas took an illegal campaign contribution from a very questionable source, the weed retailer Lamoda. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and your emails. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. president of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blame the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to get to calls, but in a moment, i got to talk about the Biden administration and its plans for the FAA. I mean, just today we found out that Boeing airplane with the plug in the side that blew out at 16,000 feet, and now they've got pictures from the Boeing factory floor that show it was missing bolts. They didn't put the bolts in. Now, I understand the plug is actually made by a company called uh, Spirit that's in the Midwest, and they're supposed to put it in, but apparently they had to pull it out, put a new door seal in, and when they put it back in, they didn't put the bolts back in. And there's a picture to prove that the bolts were missing. Now, one other thing blew out. So th with, with problems like that in the airline industry, 19 near misses at major airports just in 2023, you know, where you've got planes almost running into each other. I want to tell you about the Biden administration's plans to have not skill, not talent, not ability, but diversity, equity, and inclusion decide who works for the federal government's aviation regulatory agency known as the FAA. First, though, I want to go to uh, Tanya, who's a naysayer, and let me just tell you that today we got the word that in the state of Michigan, there's a mom, uh, uh, Miss Crumbly, uh, who was convicted of involuntary manslaughter because three years ago, her teenage son went to school with a pistol and ammunition killed four people he's sitting in prison he gets life with no parole his mom was accused of involuntary manslaughter because of the role she played in all that although she didn't go to school with him she didn't hold the gun and she didn't pull the trigger but i think they were right to convict her of involuntary manslaughter and then i get tanya who's a naysayer tanya welcome to the program you know we love naysayers on the lars larson show so what do we disagree about when it comes to this uh, the mom a lot, and I want to tell you, 90% of the time, I agree with you. <laughs> There's but always this, a but at the end of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, this time I 100% disagree. Okay. And one, and it's a huge issue, is the government. They come in, they tell you, you can't spank your kids, you can't discipline your kids. Now you're going to hold them responsible. Two, 
the transgender stuff. Sorry. Um, no, I don't apologize for that. I think the transgender crowd should apologize. But go ahead. But that's what I'm saying. The government is is stepping into all this stuff, and it, they're already trying to take away our guns. And so this is just another that. part of that because if parents are afraid to buy a gun because their kids might get it, there's gun control. Um, we well, are well, all hold on. Can I throw me. can I throw an objection what? in there, Tanya? I yeah. own guns. I own pistols and rifles and shotguns and the whole Marianne. Right? I got a pistol right next yeah. to me right now. Okay. Yep. When my granddaughter was here this weekend, I keep it, unless it's on my hip, it's locked up. Why? Do I think I can trust uh, Payson not to go mess with the gun? She's been taught. She doesn't even, she's, she'll tell us if you hand her a steak knife, she'll say, I'm not allowed to touch that knife. Period. She understands the rules. But even still, I keep it locked up. This mom got called to the school on the day of the shooting. And the school said, hey, your son's drawing some really weird pictures that involve guns and people getting hurt. We're concerned about this. What do you know? Does she say, well, by the way, I just bought my son a gun three days ago, and I don't know where it is. Uh, she didn't say that. And where was it? It was in his backpack. And the school has some fault, too, because the principal who talked to uh, Ethan Crumbly, now locked up for pre in prison for life, uh, had his backpack, had taken away from him never asked to look in it, never asked him what was in it. And and when he handed it back, the testimony at the trial was that he said, yeah, I even told him, yeah, this, this backpack's really heavy. Well, it was really heavy because it had a pistol and a bunch of extra ammunition in it. I mean, it sounds like there was stupidity to go around. But did the mom have a responsibility in that case to say, yeah, I just bought my son a gun. Maybe I should go home and see if I can find it because I didn't lock it up. I just couldn't imagine. I didn't even know my son was bullied at school until a couple of years ago. And he's been in school for years. Parents don't always know. And no, but again, when the school does call you and they call you and say, hey, it's really important to come down right now, clearly they're concerned about something. I mean, they don't ordinarily just summon parents to school unless somebody got hurt or unless they're really concerned about something. And when the jury heard all of this and said, so you bought your son a gun, you didn't lock it up. You didn't limit his access to it. And when the school calls you and says, hey, he's drawing pictures of guns and we're concerned about, you know, what's being shown in these pictures. I don't I've never seen the pictures, so I don't know what they looked like. But they were concerned enough to call mom in. She didn't say, by the way, I just bought him a gun and maybe we should find out where it is. Well, I agree she should have said something, but I still think she shouldn't go to prison because, like I said, that if people are afraid that they're going to get in trouble because their kids might sneak out guns. Number one, I never had handguns in my house when my kids were little oh, for I this did. very reason. But that was my choice. Okay, and it was. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who go out practicing shooting guns of all kinds. That's their right. Yep, it's fun. But, again, I still think this is part of gun control because people are going to voluntarily give up their guns. I seen this in Portland when I first moved to Portland. Well, Channel 12 News. They but, said, if you're not using your guns, bring them here, and we'll take them off your hands. Oh, yeah, that's the, the so-called gun buybacks. Them. People are buying guns that they've never owned and calling it a gun buyback. But let me ask you something, Tanya. I think it's almost more, it will make more people in favor of gun control. I'm not. But it will persuade no. the people who, hold on, that, that it'll persuade people when you say, you see all these crazy things that happen with guns? Because there are adults, I, I, would, I love the idea 
of a parent buying a gun for a, a, a young man or woman. That's a great idea. But you have to maintain control of it the same way you maintain control of steak knives or automobiles or chemicals in the garage or, or whatever. You don't hand a chain, chainsaw to a 10-year-old unless they've had some instruction and precautions and all of that. You don't do that. And so when we let people do stupid things, when it comes to their kids and guns and somebody ends up dead... That ends up being an argument in favor if we don't hold people responsible. You don't see her as having any responsibility at all. Not really, because as a parent, you want to believe in your child. You don't really believe that they'd really do something like that. Oh, hold on, hold on. As a mom, big... as a mom, Tanya, answer this for me. Yeah. Has your has your child ever done something colossally stupid right in front of you that you've told them not to do before that put either them or you at risk? Yes. <laughs> my son shot up heroin on two oh five with me oh and my God. kids in the car. Oh my God. Well, Tanya, that's that's a better example than I thought it was going to get. But Tanya, thank you very much. You've been a great. She's one of the best naysayers either. Uh, anyway, and there are other people who say they want to be king of the naysayers. I think Tanya is going to give you a run for your money. Let me tell you this, though, very quickly. So with all these things happening in American aviation, door plugs blowing out of planes, near misses in the sky. I mean, really stupid stuff. What does the Biden administration do? They double down on stupid and they say, we're going to hire people to work in the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, not based on skills, not based on talents, not based on their abilities, but based on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're going to hire people based on whether or not it checks certain political boxes. That's the kind of decision-making that we're getting from the White House. So you've got stupid on steroids from the Biden administration when it comes to the FAA, and they say... Increasing diversity in the FAA is one of their top focuses. Well, guess what, folks? It's going to make things more dangerous for all of the rest of us. Find to get your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Nixon was wrong about a lot of things, but he's right about this. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. What say you, Joe Biden? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls. A lot of interest has been spurred by that ex-poll that we've been asking and the development that today a jury in Michigan has done something that I've had people calling this show asking about for literally decades. When you hear about something terrible, like a shooting, like the one that happened in Michigan at Oxford High School, uh, happened three years ago in 2021, and uh, a young man, a teenage man, Ethan Crumbly, who's now sitting in prison uh, without the possibility of parole, he's there for life, um, his mother was just convicted today by a jury that found her guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Why? Was she holding the gun? Nope. Uh, did she know where the gun was? That was part of the problem. She did not. She had bought the gun for her son a couple of days before. I think that's an admirable thing to do as long as you maintain control of it. She gets called to the school. The school says, we're concerned. Your son's drawing pictures of guns, and uh, we think he's uh, he's got some problems. And does uh, she say, well, he has a gun, uh, but I don't know exactly where it is. Maybe we should find it. She didn't do that. Neither did his father. She went on trial. Jury found her guilty today. Her father, or his father, is going to go on trial next month. 
and and he may be found guilty as well. She's looking at a possible 15 years in prison. So I get emails like this one uh, from Ray. I'm in agreement with the mother being convicted. However, I have to take issue with the mother being held responsible when all over the country parents are having their parental responsibility taken away by woke trans medical industrial complex. Either parents are responsible for their children or they are not, and that should be taken into account. By the way, I have a dog in this fight. I grew up in Oxford, Michigan, and graduated from Oxford High School. Some of my classmates' families were affected. Ray, thank you very much for that. Let me go to a naysayer. Uh, we always like naysayers on the show, and Damon is one. Damon, what do you and I disagree about today? Hey, Lars, how are you? Um, Quite well. Well, I'm going to do my best to debate you. Uh, <laughs> the reason I uh, disagree is, I, you know, I, I understand he's a teenager, and I, if I remember right, you have children yourself. I have stepchildren. Did yeah. you? Okay. And I'm sure there's other parents out there that have bought, uh, let's say, knives. Or um, and this one's going to be kind of a curveball. Their parents may have paid for a gym membership for uh, their kid, you know, because maybe they like to work out. Okay. And? If this is the case... Because let's say that kid really enjoys lifting weights, got all nice and buff and everything like that. The kid gets in a fight in the school. And hurts somebody. What? And hurts but see, somebody. And not even kill him. Because if he got a good punch in. He could. You know. He could. But, Damon, let me ask you. be responsible, are, though? In this case, though, you're saying if the kid ends up buff, strong, and a punch from him could kill somebody, and then he kills somebody, it's because he worked out of the gym. I don't think there's as much of a connection there. Would you agree that the mom who decides to buy him, The parents supplied him that membership. Hold on. Like I get the, I get the example. Damon, I understand the example. But, you know, that way... It, that one doesn't make as much sense. Let's go back to the case that's in front of us, and that's Ms. Crumbly, who just was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. She and her husband buy the boy, the teenager, and he's a boy, a gun. Do they maintain control of it? Nope. Do they lock it up? Nope. Do they even know where it is on the day of the shooting? No, it turns out it was in his backpack. He had that much access to it that it could disappear from the house, and Mom and Dan didn't know. If they okay, had so let's use a different scenario then. Okay, go ahead. Let's say it's a knife. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, um, I'm going to just speak for this. I don't have a son myself, but I, I know that my dad supplied me, bought me my first knife. It, it wasn't exactly a pocket knife. Okay, but um, Damon, you're going to go into a long example. I need you to get to the point. The, the difference oh, is, the difference is, in America, anybody can buy a knife. Okay. In America, to buy a pistol or a rifle or a shotgun, there are various age rules, and they exclude almost all high school students. But I appreciate the example, and I appreciate the metaphor. I don't think it works, and the jury clearly thought that she was responsible. Let's go to Mike. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Uh, what is somebody going to go after some of these uh, gun-free zones? I do about every week. Well, I mean, so some lawyer go after and hit them hard. The problem is, Mike, in most cases, except for government bodies like schools and courthouses and city halls, 
gun-free zones are on private property. You could have a gun-free zone at your house. I would support your private property right to make whatever stupid, foolish rule you want to make. Okay. Now, I might think it's stupid or foolish, but you know what? I don't own the property. You do. In the case of schools, especially public schools, it's the decision of elected officials. And I would hope that communities would push back and say gun-free zones are some of the most, and I say this, my producer would tell you about once a week, gun-free zones are the most dangerous places to be in America. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like over 90% of the mass shootings are at one. And there's a way to solve that. You go to your school board, you get a school board members elected who say gun-free zones are dangerous, therefore let's not turn our schools into gun-free zones. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking, you know, if you're going to put a sign up, shouldn't you guarantee that it's a gun-free zone? No. Well, no. look, there are plenty of I mean, American so companies. Somebody goes in there thinking it's a gun-free zone, and they think, okay, I'm safe in there. Well, you're not. No, you're not. And I, it's a good example. Thank you. Let's go to Lyndon. Lyndon, you heard me mention Ronald Reagan's birthday because I ended up wishing happy birthday to a very wonderful 103-year-old yes, uh, today. Uh, and she has uh, the same uh, birthday today, as Reagan. To point out, today is Ronald Reagan's 113th birthday. Yep. And I still think he's the greatest peace president we've ever had, certainly in the last 100 years. As you know, he defeated the uh, Soviet Union and without firing a shot and the Soviet Union withdrew from Eastern Europe liberating 80 million people from Soviet communist domination yep and he did that through negotiation he learned negotiation as president of the Screen Actors Guild I think he was president for at least eight years of that guild and he had to negotiate with the lawyers of MGM Fox and other big movie studios all true. And he learned that you have to be able to get up and walk away from the negotiating table when you come to an impasse. And You're that's right. exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did when he was negotiating with Gorbachev in Reykjavik, Iceland. He did. He, he famously walked out. And, and if you aren't ready to walk out, then, then your opponent owns you, don't they? Yeah. And uh, Gorbachev decided at that point that the Cold War was over. They couldn't keep up with us. And they could, couldn't afford to dominate Eastern Europe with all their t divisions of m troops and tanks. So that was it. That was the end of it. And uh, the end of the Cold War, uh, beginning of the end of the Cold War. And that's, that's why Ronald Reagan was such a brilliant negotiator. And we, we need another brilliant negotiator like Ronald Reagan. You mean you don't think Joe Biden's a brilliant negotiator? <laughs> no, no not, not by a country mile. No, in fact, in fact, you know, this past weekend, he went to Nevada to give a speech. Now, they were all expecting a campaign speech, but instead, he started talking about how right after he was elected president, which is only three years ago, that he met with the president of Germany, Francois Mitterrand. And even his name might have given you a clue that Mitterrand was never the president of Germany. He was the president of France. And the other problem is that when Biden says he met with Mitterrand right after he was elected, um, Mitterrand died in 1996. Uh, and, and so Joe Biden could not have met with him right after Joe Biden allegedly was elected in November of 2020. Uh, Lou, thanks very much. I appreciate the call. Glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network.
Control Explained. Want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers? Ban sober drivers. That's how gun control works. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And don't forget to answer our X-Bowl today, which has been a barn burner. The question is, should the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting also be held criminally responsible? Apparently, for the first time in American history, it happened today, a jury finding a Michigan mom, Jennifer Crumbly, uh, guilty of involuntary manslaughter in the murders that were carried out by her son. Now, I can say murders because Ethan Crumbly has already been convicted of the four murders. He's sitting in prison, life without the possibility of parole, and he's sitting in prison. She's now looking at sentencing for up to 15 years in prison per count. Now... Uh, we get naysayers on this, and I'm glad for them. Ed, welcome to the program. Uh, you are a naysayer. What do you and I disagree about? And thanks for calling from Redmond, Washington. How you doing, Lars? Yeah, I, well. I disagree because because I think the the legal opening here is very scary. And I'll give you the example. Um, okay. I mean, we're concentrating on guns, and I get it all, but just look at it this way. What if it was a car? It's much more likely he could have gotten into a car and he could have driven in and, and used that as a weapon. We saw that already in that area. Uh, so, you know, at what point do you allow, uh, you know, if you just try to be so specific, let's say gun or whatever, the reality okay, is let's use you know, car. Let's use car. Ed, let's yeah. use the car. For the most part, kids can't can't buy cars because they're going to buy them on time. And you, and if you're under 18, you can't sign a bonding legal contract, which means you and you sure. have the car. And in most states, I think both Oregon and Washington still allow parents say, "I want my kid's driver's license pulled uh, because he's under eight. Sure. If he's under 18 or she's under 18, you can pull it. So you're still under the control of your your parents. But if your parents say, "Yeah, you can drive the car." Should there be some level of responsibility if you understand that that your son or daughter may be doing something dangerous, you know, with that car? You put some limits on it, don't you? Well, I, I don't disagree with the theory that that is true, but the reality, the objective truth is that's not true. How many kids are out there drinking? How many kids are doing this? The parents have no idea in that intent. Happens every day. There's thousands of cases of that all the time. I'm simply saying that if we... People accountable. Just not even parents. I mean, what, what are you going to start saying? Well, what about the the wife of a serial killer has no clue, or the wife of the or the family of a, or the girlfriend of no, a Where do you see, draw the line? The, I'll, I'll you tell you where you draw legal? the line, Ed. I'll tell you where you draw the line. And I'm not the one who wrote the law. I'm also not on the no, jury. I get it, but, and but, I think but, that this is a failure of the law. But, but here's well. Is it a failure if you make a case to a jury, 12 average citizens who are asked, consider her defense? Her defense is, look, there's nothing else I could do. And the prosecution was, she bought the gun for him. She was alerted to a security threat at the school. She's called down there. They tell her, we're concerned that your son's drawing these pictures that seem to indicate he may be planning some kind of violence. She does none of the things that I think you or I would have done. So it does take the, the no. particular. Hold on. I, it, go ahead. It's a reasonable man theory apply. That what would a reasonable right person do? But we already know that reasonable man theories have been pretty much thrown out of court 
as a legal basis. It's just not instead, done instead, the jury is looking at it saying she failed in a number of places that she could have and should have acted as a parent, and they decided to find her guilty. The ultimate test is, and, and, and I know this is going to be appealed, and she may well win on appeal, but... Yeah. Well, and I think the question, but I think it goes to the greater question. Yes, specifically in this case, but where does this type of thing end? It because ends with a jury. If you, a jury hears, start, no, but, but if a jury hears the ridiculous case, like you've outlined, saying, what if a kid uh, has a car, mom and dad got the car for him, they still own it, they pay the expenses in many cases, and the kid goes out and does something colossally stupid and even criminally stupid and hurts or kills somebody, would you, then you take it to a jury and you say, would you hold mom and dad responsible? And, and if there's no evidence that mom and dad acted irresponsibly, they had a son or a daughter, they, they were allowed to drive the car, they always drove it responsibly up to that point, and then one night they get blind drunk and they go out and they kill somebody, could the parents have done some things to stop that? The jury is going right. to look at that and they're going to make a decision based on that case. Let's go to another naysayer. More naysayers in one day than I've had in a long time. Brian, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to naysay you on, on this one. Please do. Uh, what I don't like about this case is that uh, every night in this country, there are shootings going on in every major city perpetrated by young thugs. There are parents of these young thugs that know full well what they're doing, yet I've never heard of anybody ever trying to go after parents in these cases. Did they put a so gun in the hand of the thug? The hold on, hold on, Brian. The key difference is this. Your kid starts running around with a gang. Did you put a gun in his hand? In that case, I'd say prosecute those parents, too. If if they gave him the 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 device, the the object, a gun, there's no gun violence because guns aren't violent. People are violent. Inanimate objects are not. But if you find me the you know mother or father of a, a kid who's in a gang and mom or dad said, hey, if you're going to be in a gang, you need a gun. Here's a gun. I'd hold that mother or father responsible, too. Wouldn't you? Well, I would. I would like to. If they have knowledge what the kid's doing, they have knowledge he has a gun, they have knowledge he's out all night, they have knowledge he was involved in a certain shooting. Do you think Jennifer Crumbly that. knew that her son was having problems and she gets called to the school and told, he's drawing these pictures, we're really concerned, and she sits right there knowing she bought him a gun two days before, three days before, and does absolutely nothing. And then, of course, the school handed him the gun back as well. you got the Lars Larson show. The Lars Larson Show. Exactly 15 seconds will be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday and live on the Radio Northwest Network and a real pleasure. I got to ask you this question. Our ex-poll today has generated so many naysayers. I mean, there are whole weeks that go by without us getting a single naysayer. And there are whole days occasionally. And then on a day like today, I've literally got, I think we will have had a dozen naysayers by the end of the day about this question. Should the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting also be held criminally responsible? Now, somebody pointed out that's kind of an absolute 
uh, way to ask the question, should every parent, no, I'm not saying every parent, but when the circumstances merited, a jury in Michigan today uh, convicted Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of a teenager who three years ago murdered four people, his classmates, at a school, Oxford High School in Oxford, Michigan. He was convicted, sent to prison uh, for life without parole. His mother has now been convicted, may get 15 years per count in prison. And so why don't I ask my fellow talker, Ari, uh, Ari Hoffman, who joins me now from our Seattle affiliate, KVI. Ari, how are you? I'm doing great, Lars. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, but I have I have never I have not had a day with this many naysayers, I think, ever in a few decades on the air where people dis and they're disagreeing respectfully. But uh, you know, I, I, for decades, I've had people say, "Can we ever hold the parents responsible when their kids do especially you know crazy, dangerous, deadly things?" And I've said, "Well." It would take the right set of circumstances, and it sounds like the jury in Michigan found this was the right set of circumstances. What do you think? I think I think that when these things happen, and I'm speaking of this from a, as a guy who did a lot of youth work for 20 years, that when things happen, people say to me, who's the worst kid in your youth organization? I go, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you that, obviously, but the question is, who are the worst parents in the youth organization? Because there's some parents who, when a kid is on the wrong path, they do everything in their power, and sometimes they lose a kid. Sometimes they lose a kid to drugs. Sometimes they lose a kid to violence. Sometimes they lose a kid to crime. Sometimes they lose a kid to the Democrat Party. Even when they do everything right, sometimes that happens. But... The, the issue here is if you see your kid on the wrong path, and this kid had a lot of issues, which were known to, it seems, everybody, and then the parents go out and buy the kid a gun, look, if you've got a kid who's got a, dr a drug problem or a drunk driving problem or anything like that, take away their keys. You know, this is a case where the parents are culpable because they knew there were issues going on. And actually, i got to say something else. The school knew there were issues going on. The school didn't check the kid's backpack when they brought the parents into the meeting. Apparently, he was sitting there in the meeting with the gun in the backpack nobody yep. thought to check any of that out so my question is great if the parents are liable how about that school principal how about that school guidance counselor how about that school in general they should be equally as liable well so i'll tell you what great minds think alike because a couple of hours ago Ari, i pointed out the the specific testimony a month ago in that case i wasn't following every day it just popped up today and i thought we got to talk about this the principal was holding on to the backpack. He had taken it away from the killer, Ethan Crumbly. And, uh, and then, for some reason, having called mom all the way down because he's drawing disturbing pictures show, depicting guns and violence and, and other things, and they were concerned. Mom didn't volunteer them. By the way, we just bought him a pistol the other day. Uh, nor does she say, and we don't know exactly where it is because we didn't lock it up. But the principal is holding the backpack, and as he hands it back, his testimony to the jury was, he said, gee, this is really heavy. Well, it was really heavy because it had a, a full semi-auto pistol in it with a bunch of ammunition. But he never once, the principal of the school, who's concerned about a kid drawing pictures that make him think the kid may do something violent, never says, hey, I want to see what's inside this backpack. And I think, I think under the court decisions made, you know, uh, in, over the years, over the decades, he could have looked in that backpack because the kid brought it inside the school. He can look inside that backpack, but he could have at least asked. He didn't even ask. He just handed it back to the kid with the gun in it. 
it's bonkers crazy. Look, the other night, here, for my own life story, the other night, my teenage son, who's a relatively new driver, at 11.30 at night, I hear him rustling for his keys in the entry hall. And I go, where are you going? And he says, <laughs> I just feel like going out for a drive. And I said, you're not going anywhere at 11.30 at night. And he goes, why? I go, because it's 11.30 at night. Now, the truth is, he's a good kid, and he probably was just going out for a drive. But at the same time, as a competent parent, if a kid leaves the house at 11.30 at night with their keys, nothing good is going to happen. So you just say no. Parents know these kind of things. Parents know their kids. And the kid's having all these issues. You can live in denial all you want, or you can actually deal with it. Look, Lars, I'm sure you and I both have friends and parents, I know I do for sure, that the schools have told them a bunch of times not to this level, but they say, hey, your kid may have ADHD and they don't want to get tested for it. Or your kid may be on the spectrum and they don't want to get tested for it because they don't want to admit there's a problem. It seems yep. in this case that may be what's going on, and then there's for sure culpability. How many of these stories are there where they were on the FBI watch list and the FBI didn't do anything, or the police knew about it and the police didn't do anything, or a government official knew about it and didn't do anything? This case was preventable at every single level. And yet nobody did anything about it. And I think that unless you start holding people accountable for that, nothing's going to change. No, and the key, I think the lynch point, not having sat in the, and so you'd be right if you, if my, any of my audience says, Lars, you weren't there. No, I wasn't. But I'll tell you what, if that mom had said, well, you're right, he's drawing these pictures, that's a concern. We just bought him a pistol the other day. Things would have changed because I think the principal might have said, let's look in that backpack and make sure he's not armed right now, which he was, and say to mom, I want you to go home, you know, and he could suggest it. I don't know that he could command mom to do it, but say, go home, find that pistol, and why don't you lock it up the way any responsible gunner does? I was sharing with people, my, my granddaughter was here this weekend. The state of Washington says there's a requirement, but I've always thought it was sensible either. If I don't have the gun with me, it goes in the safe, period. No exceptions. Yeah, exactly. Why? Because, because <laughs> even though I trust Payson explicitly, you know, for a long time she wouldn't even handle a butter knife because her parents and we had said no knives. And now, you know, she's cooking with Nana so she gets to use some knives, but not all knives. She knows the knives she can't touch. But even that responsible, I wouldn't say, oh, let's just leave a gun out where she can get it and where we don't even know where it is. This mom knew that, and I'll bet she thought, I'm going to sit here and tell the school officials, you've called me in because of disturbing pictures with guns, and I just bought him one a few days ago. And she knew what the reaction would have been. But it probably would have saved four lives, and I think that's why the jury found her guilty. Right, exactly. And look, Lars, I know that at events, sometimes parents come up to me and they go, you know, I tried everything, but I lost my kid to drugs. I tried everything, I lost my kid to that. This isn't that situation. I think that may be, and I think that may be what's behind some of your naysayers where they're looking at this and going, well, so many times we feel awful for the parents because they had no idea. But here, now they have to live with this for the rest of their lives. Now they have to go to jail because they knew they could have avoided this. They could have avoided this at multiple times and they're worried about appearances. They're worried how it would look and a parent will do anything for their kids and at this point the kid needed help the parent wasn't there and there's got to be a culpability for that i think there is too and the other phenomena they're saying hey the schools are taking away all our say so with our kids about trans about drugs about this and they and they say if you keep doing that parent saying you're not responsible 
then you're going to find parents saying, you're right, I'm not responsible. That's Ari Hoffman. He does the show on our affiliate station, KVI, out of Seattle. Back in just a moment, and I'll get to your phone calls and emails and tell you about a young lady who finally had enough of that transgender nonsense, and she said, I'm quitting. I'm leaving medicine at this point. you got the Lars Larson Show. Lars Larson Show, the poll on X that has driven a lot of attention today. I haven't seen one like this in a long time. But the word just came down today. A jury in Michigan convicted a woman, Jennifer Crumbly. She's a mom. Her teenage son uh, took a gun that she bought for him uh, that she didn't maintain control of. And he took it to school about three years ago and murdered uh, four of his classmates. He's now sitting in prison uh, for life without the possibility of parole. And his mother was just convicted of involuntary manslaughter, apparently in one of the first cases of its kind in America. Should the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting also be held criminally responsible? And I would say yes to that, um, but I've been getting a lot of naysayers from the other side. Today's poll on X is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let's go to Chris, who's a naysayer. Hey, Chris, welcome to the program. What do we disagree about today that makes you a naysayer? Uh, well, I disagree with uh, the penalty that she ended up getting because Michigan doesn't have a safe, safe storage law. So her maintaining control, I really don't think, is uh, relevant to this whole thing. What I think she should have been brought up on is charges of being a straw buyer because no one in its United States law that uh, – Anyone under 21 can't own or possess a uh, firearm. So a, a pistol, because you, there, no, there are 18-year-olds who can buy shotguns and some rifles, depending on the state. But the Hand federal guns. fire, hold on, yeah, handguns. So if we're only talking handguns, you're right. But Chris, the problem with the straw buyer idea is this: when you walk into a gun store as an adult, you're asked, "Are you buying this gun for yourself?" Well, your child can't legally own it. So even if if it's dad saying, son, I'm going to buy you a gun for your birthday, uh, you say, okay, but you won't actually, I mean, if you wanted to explain the legalities of it to your son, you'd say, you don't actually own the gun. I own the gun, but I am buying it for you. I mean, I have uh, guns that I bought for my granddaughter. She's seen them. She does not own them. They are in my name. And when she gets to the appropriate age, I'll transfer them to her name. But she doesn't actually own them. So it's only a straw purchase if you're buying a gun for somebody else, you know, who could have bought the gun but can't because they're a felon or they're, you know, domestic violence or they've been to the, you know, they've been uh, committed to a mental institution, things like that. The straw purchase, a straw man, a straw buyer would not work because you can't, you can't be, you can't have purchased a straw a, a straw purchase of a gun for somebody who can't legally own a gun already right 
Well, you're absolutely right, but that's what the straw purchase is, is to get around those technicalities of uh, illegally. like no, the, the problem or, is or Jennifer Crumbly and her husband own that gun. So if you no, said, you well, said they, bought they bought it for him. They bought it for him in the same way. Have you ever bought, a, a say, a car, a used car for your kid? No. Okay, but if you did someday and the kid was 16, would you put it in his or her name? Uh, it, no, probably not. I, probably not, but... Yeah, that, in, and so that's reality, all I'm saying. But, in, in reality, it wouldn't matter because uh, they're living under your roof and your insurance is going to get nailed anyway. Well, I, I understand that, but they, you know, if, I, if you put I, it in I'm their saying, name and they decide to, to drive it down to a car lot and sell it, they can do that. But most parents who buy a car for a kid are saying, I'm buying this car for my son. They're not actually putting it in their name. In the case of a gun, you can't put it in their name. Let's go to uh, Dennis. Hey, Dennis, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Are you, you're a naysayer as well. I think I'm going to hit a naysayer record today for the show. Uh, what do we disagree about? Well, you put too much uh, reliance on the system and in today's networks. Um, there's what does that there's mean? discretion here. Um, what about the child that suffers abuse early in life and does things to get even with the parent later in life? Uh, I'm not sure how that's the, the same thing. What's that? How is that? How is that comparable? What happened here is you have an adult, his mom, who didn't do what she should have done, which is maintain control of the gun that she owned. She put it in her son's hand. She didn't lock it up. She didn't, she didn't even know where it was that day. If she had known that it was in her son's backpack, standing 15 feet away from her, what do you suppose she would have said? Except she never bothered to try to find out where it was. So how does well, that compare to kids who've been on, abused? You're relying on such a controversial subject. What about the, the, the parent that actually ends up suffering because the child wanted to get even for the abuse that they suffered earlier in their life? Okay, I don't even know how that one compares at all, Dennis. I can't, okay, I can't right, wrap my head you, around it. Let me give you an instance here. Okay, I'll, give I'll, me, I'll, because I'll, I don't know what, you're probably talking about something as, from your life. What was as it? As I grew up, as I grew up, me and my siblings suffered abuse at the hands of our parents. I'm sorry to hear that. So much so that a Washington County judge emancipated me at 15 years old. Okay, Now, there good. were two siblings that were younger than me still in my parents' care. Yeah. What happens if the parents were to buy one of those children a car and put it in their name and stuff like this, being a low-income family, what if the, the child wanted to get even with the parent and destroy then the that would be the, that would be the testimony at the trial, except that in this case, right. there were none of those, which is why the jury decided that mom was guilty. But I appreciate the call. Let's go to uh, Scott. Hey, Scott, you're also a naysayer. Again, I'm going to hit a record. I've never had a whole day of naysayers. <laughs> What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I do agree that the mother is guilty. I just don't agree that she's guilty of manslaughter. Okay. I think criminal negligence, yes, but the day that we start convicting people for actions that other people committed, that you want to talk about a slippery slope, that is one. But we do do that right now, don't we? Aren't there cases 
where we decide somebody has been negligent. Um, some A business owner is negligent because he's made aware there's a dangerous piece of equipment out there on the factory floor, and it's his job to take care of it. And he doesn't. He doesn't correct the, the error or the fault that he's been made aware of, and uh, and then the machine blows up and hurts somebody. He's he's uh, he's responsible, right? He's yes, and he's found to be negligent, but he's not found to have committed murder or manslaughter. Understood. Now they gave the jury the choice. You know, many juries have this kind of choice. They say you can find the person guilty of this, or you can find them guilty of that. In this case, the jury that listened to it said, "We think that woman committed involuntary manslaughter." She, she didn't intend those people to die, but they died in, in, instead because of her action or inaction. It, it kind of adds up to the same thing, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose. I just think the terminology, because, I mean, there could be an awful lot of cases come across the line that are lesser situations than this one where parents are found guilty of things because they can use this as a... Uh, yeah, except that there's no precedent setting a bit. You know, this doesn't set a precedent unless it goes all the way to the Supreme Court, in which case there is a nationwide precedent that's set. But, Scott, good points, and I appreciate it. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and check out my Instagram feed. You've got the Lars, the Lars Larson, Larson Show. may talk about serious issues, but even Lars has a sense of humor. I have a joke for you. The government in this town is excellent and uses your tax dollars efficiently. <laughs> this is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our X poll, the poll on X, of course, about that case in Michigan involving the mother who was convicted involving the killings carried out by her teenage son. Um, yeah, you heard that right. Uh, one of the first times in America that's actually happened. But I want to talk for a moment with Paul Winfrey, who's a former Donald Trump policy advisor and now heading up the new think tank, the Economic Policy Innovation Center. Paul, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Epic has found some stunning misuse of American money by the Biden administration, hasn't it? Are you surprised? No, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised <laughs> at all. I just it just no. confirms what I know. But yeah, you're right. That that's exactly right. I I wish that I was surprised. Um, but here here's what's going on. So. I think the last time that I was on, we talked about the Bidenomics slush fund. That's about, there's a $350 billion pot of money that was included in the Build Back Better bill that was enacted or ran through Congress in early 2021. And there's still about $120 billion in that pot that's sitting out there that states and local governments are wasting. And the Biden administration has been trying to, to push it out as quickly as they can. And we found, we've been combing through the data, and we found a number of uh, of, of, of problematic things, uh, in, including an instance in uh, the state of Washington where they used about $340 million to send $1,000 uh, checks to folks. However, the one requirement for receiving these checks was uh, that you had to be an undocumented immigrant. You had to be here uh, e illegally. 
And so uh, Americans and, and, need not apply. Is that is that basically the uh, the, the, the program? Amer- Americans need not apply, and it, it gets even better. When we dug into the the state documents on how they were administering the program, uh, we figured out that they were actually marketing it through Planned Parenthood. So, oh my God. so ex- exactly. Oh my God. So it 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 is. It, I mean, could they make it? Any, could they make? It's like it's like the Biden. I, I hate to say this as a diversion from the main topic, but it's like the Biden administration says. Let's steal all the thunder from the Babylon Bee and just make up the craziest stuff and turn it into policy. Th- that's what they're doing. I wish, I wish this was from the Babylon Bee, but it, it is, it is, it is certainly not. As a matter of fact, when when my folks um, initially uncovered this and and uh, and and showed it to me, I said this 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 must be a joke. Um, but it's not. Uh, I mean, it, it, the uh, one of the things that we've seen and that we've uncovered here. Is that uh, the Treasury Department again has been pushing this money on on state and local governments and and as a matter of fact, just last week the the Deputy Secretary of the Treasury Department was giving a speech um, to a bunch of liberal uh, non nonprofits, telling them uh, to go encourage their local officials to uh, spend more of the money and to give more of it to them um, so that they can protect it and shelter it and make sure that the left is uh, fully funded, regardless of what happens this November. I mean, this seems, number one, blatantly political to say in a presidential election year, the administration is telling states, you've got this cash, figure out a way to shovel it out to people. Oh, and by the way, send a third of a billion of it to illegal aliens in a single state. Now, they all say we're trying to control inflation. We're trying to get it down. You know, Biden talks about it all the time. And you say, what do you suppose happens to inflation when a third of a billion dollars that is put into the hands of people who are illegally here, in many cases can't work. I don't feel sorry for them. They put themselves in that situation. You say, here's a thousand bucks. You know that thousand bucks is going to get spent into the economy, which I, I realize a third of a billion in an American economy, but in a single state, it still has some effect when you put jam more cash in to buy, you know, goods that are, I just saw today, I haven't been to a McDonald's in a long time, but a Big Mac fry and a Coke is $18 now. You say, what's pushing all this inflation up? Oh, I don't know, putting cash in the hands of people guaranteed to spend it who aren't even legally in the country and telling Americans they're not even eligible for the program? That's right. It's all it's all debt finance. And, and you know, the, the sort of a larger question that we've had is if you're trying to secure the border, right, how can you adequately do that, regardless of what you're doing in Texas and in Arizona and New Mexico and elsewhere, when you are creating massive magnets for people to come here, right? Because it's not just the cash assistance. I mean, other states have been using it uh, to provide legal assistance. Other states like Massachusetts have been using it to provide uh, free free housing. Um, you know, you've got to stop the attraction. You've got to claw back the welfare state before you before you secure the border and i mean but to your point i mean this is all debt finance it's it's all debt finance it's all financed by printing money i'm talking to paul winfrey who's the uh, he's heading up the think tank the economic policy innovation center which is where you see these weird contradictions eric adams will tell you oh my god you're we, we can't handle all these illegal aliens so tell you what 
One, and he just proposed this Friday, 53 million bucks in the form of $1,000 prepaid credit cards, you know, which they load up with cash or debit cards and hand out, but only to illegal aliens. And you think, you're trying to keep people out of the country, but you're telling them if they can get across the border and get a free Joe Biden airplane ticket to New York, they get $1,000 a month for doing nothing? Well, yeah, yeah, you must really be trying to keep these people away from here when you're offering them cash just to show up. That's that's exactly right. I mean, that's the magnet that we're talking about. And, you know, we're already starting to see, I mean, as we talked about before, you know, the Trump tax cuts from 2017 on individuals, those all expire next year. And we've started to see the White House talk about how, well, you know, maybe we should let those tax cuts expire. So while we've been doing all this inflationary uh, spending, as we've been paying for all of the spending, including to uh, illegals, um, by printing uh, money, the White House is now talking about letting people's taxes go up in an environment where prices have gone up by 20% since Biden came into office. I mean, I, I, it's just, it, it's just unfathomable. So um, let me ask, as you, let me ask I mean, you a legal question. Babylon B stuff. Paul, mm -hmm. let me ask you this. This is officially from the Coronavirus State and Local Recovery Fund, the SLFRF. Was it legal to spend the money for that purpose, given that the pandemic is over? This is not about coronavirus. It's just giving money away. Is it even legal? And could, could a new federal government under a different president come January claw that third of a billion back? That is a great question. Uh, it is legal because when Congress created the program, they, they essentially did so with no strings attached. They wow. said if states and locals can figure out a way to spend it, then we will give it to them, including under a category that they called revenue replacement, which was intended to cover revenue that was lost from the pandemic. But what a lot of these blue states have done is created new programs that they're now funding with this pot of money. Uh, but the way that we look at it is that there is a lot that this Congress can do. And we're actually working with members of Congress right now, including Mike Johnson in the House of Representatives, the Speaker, on putting additional strings on this money so that there will be some left over should there be a, a change in the administration here come January. I got to tell you, when, when they could have said, let's help out veterans, let's help out America's mm -hmm. elderly, let's find people who are having a tough time paying their regular expenses, no. They give a third of a billion dollars away to illegal aliens who have no business being here to begin with. Paul, thank you very much. That's Paul Winfrey, former Donald Trump advisor, now at the Economic Policy Innovation Center. When I get back, we'll get to your phone calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show at the Radio Northwest Network. vegan actually is? They say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart, just like vegans. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I might have to reframe a little bit of this expo 
because you're right. If I say, should every parent of a child, and we didn't say every parent, but should the parents of children who commit mass shootings sometimes be held criminally responsible? We could frame it a little bit differently that way. And, of course, I don't mean for the penalty to apply to every single parent, but we're talking about Jennifer Crumbly, Michigan woman convicted today by a jury that heard the story of how she bought a gun for her teenage son. Nothing wrong with that. Then she failed to maintain control of it, didn't lock it up, didn't keep it away from him, and he took it to school and murdered four of his classmates. And she was called to the school the same day before the shooting and didn't tell the school when they said, we're concerned about what your son is drawing, drawing pictures that appear to be associated with violence and guns. Did she say, well, I just bought him a gun? Their first question would have been, do you know where it is? You know where it was? It was in his backpack, and he was standing in an adjacent office talking to the principal, who then handed the backpack back to him while commenting on how much the backpack weighed. Now, I know there's a gentleman who have been waiting a long time, but we always put naysayers first, so I'll get to you. Uh, Ian, welcome to the program. What do you and I disagree about today? Hi, Lars. Um, I, I I know this is unprecedented, and it's an untouched territory, but... Um, like, if my child stole my vehicle and somebody got killed, am I liable Not the then? same. Not the same. And, and that's what the jury would hear. You'd say, well, you're a dad that normally you keep the car keys. You don't tell your kid he can drive anytime he wants. This is a mom who knew what her, her son had. Had a brand new gun, only had had it for a few days. Gets called to the school. And, and is told by the school officials, hey, we're, we're concerned about what your son is drawing here. It seems to indicate violence and has something to do with guns. Does she immediately say to her husband, who's going to go on trial next month, hey, we bought him that gun. Where is it right now? Now, sh should they have locked it up? Yeah. Should she have immediately said, well, we did buy a gun. I need to go locate it right now. And, in fact, that would have alerted the school to say to the young man, they had his backpack in the principal's hand. And he could have said, well, if you don't know where it is, let's look in this backpack. Let's see if it's in here. And it was. And 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 all right. of those woulda, coulda, shouldas turned into four dead people. And that's just dead wrong. Let's go to, I want to go to Steve. Steve, sorry about the long wait. I know you've waited. You've been very patient. Uh, what's on your mind today? Well, I'm just so mad I could spit about that guy <laughs> who thought that my senator, who did what I wanted him to do when he walked out, Dennis Lindstrom, yep. Because now those liberals have disenfranchised my vote. Yes, they have. doing exactly what I wanted to do. Why don't we flip the tables on them? Now we have these uh, government-paid teachers. They go on strike. They get paid. Maybe if they're gone for 10 days, they don't get their job back either. Well, I'll tell you what, Steve. You could, you could depending on how the contracts are written, I think they ought to write the contracts differently. Say, you want to go on strike? You don't get paid. And it's written because every one of the teachers that goes on strike um, expect that at the end, at the end of all the negotiations, the one last ask that the union will have is, by the way, our people were out in the case of Portland Public Schools. They were out for a month, close to a month, and we, we want our members to be paid for the days they didn't work. That should be an automatic no, and I think you're absolutely right about that. Jeremy, you're also a naysayer. Jeremy, what do we disagree about today? Uh, yes, I was just uh, wondering if this Crumley case almost sounds like a double jeopardy type of situation. How so? The son was charged well, once, convicted once, went to prison. Mom was charged once, convicted once, prob and convicted now, she'll probably go to prison. How's that double jeopardy? 
Well, I, I get that it's not the same person for... Uh, and that's what Double Jeopardy is, charging the same man or woman twice for and trying them twice for the same crime. But this almost seems like you're charging two people for the same crime. Well, Jeremy, you are aware that there are crimes that have happened where they charge six people and have six separate trials for the same criminal incident. If you had six guys who went in and robbed a jewelry store, and one guy's driving the getaway car and somebody else holding a gun on everybody else, and three guys or four guys go out and smash all the cases, take all the stuff out, they're all going to get charged with robbery, including the guy who sat in the, drive in the getaway car, and they're all going to go to trial. Now, sometimes they try them at the same time, sometimes they don't. A lot of that depends on the defendant. Some defendants want to be tried together, other defendants don't. So how would it be double jeopardy, though? You're only charging each person once for the crime that happened. Can more than one person be charged with a crime, uh, with with a criminal act? Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, I just think that, you know, with trying him essentially as an adult. Um, no. Well, then, uh, yeah, they, they found him guilty as an adult, and they sent him to prison for the rest of his life. You wouldn't dispute that, would you? No, I, I wouldn't dispute that. I, I'm, I'm just saying I think, you know, I, I think, yes, uh, she should be held responsible as the parent, but um, then to also say that he's responsible, hold him basically as an adult, it just kind of seems like uh, double dipping to me. That's it's, it. Well, no, but it's, it's, it's he got charged once and convicted. She got charged once and convicted. Simple as that. And, and it sounds like dad, is, dad goes on trial next month. Uh, Jeremy uh, is crumbly. And he's probably going to get the same thing uh, that his wife got. Now that one might be interesting because if he gets if he gets tried and is acquitted, but mom was convicted, but they're different juries too. Should be interesting. Jeremy, thanks for the call. Glad to be with you. It's a Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network. We serve the Pacific Northwest with honestly provocative talk on a daily basis. And you're listening to the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.